Well, it is Labor Day weekend. I have always felt like Labor Day weekend is a time of transition. There's a ton of transitions, and I bet a whole bunch of us are feeling that already today. If you're like me, maybe you got some time away. Even last week, uh, that was kind of the first time our family had some time to get away in the summer. And so last week, we were up north in cottage country, visiting family, spending time with friends, going fishing, doing all the things that we love to do in the summer. And next week, kids are starting school. And this weekend is sort of the transition between the two. It's that moment where things will not be next week like they were last week. And I'm sure you're feeling that. So some of you, your kids are going back to school, probably mixed emotions on that. Some of you are super ready for your kids to be back in school. Uh, But there's also probably some anxiety of of new things, new classes, new teachers, new rhythms, new new routines. Uh, Some of you, you've probably moved back into the area. If you're a McMaster student or maybe Redeemer or Mohawk, and maybe even over the last week, you've moved from... Uh, wherever you were in the summer, back into here, and you're looking forward to classes starting up again this coming week. Some of you, maybe your parents of uh, your kids are a little bit older, and they're the ones who are moving at this time of year to go to school or to start a new job or to do something like that. So many of us, were hitting those transitions, and this weekend is one of those times where we start to really feel it. Even in this neighborhood, if you're not super familiar, where our building is in West Hamilton, every year this happens, that uh, right around this time, a few days before later, Labor Day weekend and a few days after is this neighborhood goes from real quiet in the summer to all of a sudden tens of thousands of students coming back for the year. And you can feel it if you drive through the neighborhood. Uh, you can feel it traffic-wise. You can see the, the foot traffic. Uh, you can feel the energy pick back up. And for those of you who are students and back with us uh, for the fall, we welcome you and we're so thrilled to have you. By the way, we hope that uh, we can be, this community can be a home away from home if that is you. But you may be transitioning right in this time from uh, your summer job or being at home with your parents and now coming into school. There's so many changes that are happening right now. As a church, we are in a time of transition. And uh, you've already heard in some of the announcements, some of those things that are happening. Next week, we're going to two services, and that's going to change how things look and feel a little bit and making sure that we're here at the right time. And and, uh, just for us who are trying to figure out all the details of do we have enough volunteers and who's doing what, there's a lot of work going into that because things are transitioning. For those of you who are part of our Westside Burlington community, you're in a time of transition and have been for a little little while, that space where we're working towards launching a community in Burlington, and we're not quite there yet, but some pieces are starting to come into place, and we've worked on in the past couple of weeks some interest gatherings and getting the word out there and starting to hear people getting excited for that, but we're still in those moments of transition where we're looking forward to something that was different than it was before. And there are anthropologists and philosophers and theologians who have uh, studied and thought a lot about those transition times. And one of the terms that people have come up with to describe them is liminal time or liminal space. When we talk about liminal time, we're talking about the space between what was and what will be, a period of transition. So let me give you some examples. There's all kinds of them. You have been through some liminal times and spaces in your life. Maybe you didn't know what that was, but you certainly have been. Here's some examples. Getting married. So you date someone for a while. You're individuals. You get together. Maybe you fall in love. And then you come to a point where you get engaged. And engagement is very much a liminal time. We are not just dating anymore. We're not just getting to know each other, but we're not fully married, but we're trying to figure that out and we're working towards it. And then you come to the day of your wedding and you say, I do. And somebody pronounces you uh, that you are now married and all of a sudden your relationship is different. You've moved through a liminal phase and everything has changed. 
Graduation is a little bit like that. You come into your graduation, you've done all of the hard work, you've finished the, the final semester and submitted your final papers or, or, or thesis or whatever it is, and then you come to graduation day and they call your name and you come up on stage and you grab your, your, your diploma, whatever it is, and now all of a sudden you were an undergraduate and you're a graduate, or you were a graduate student and you're a, now you're a doctor or a PhD, something like that. It's these liminal moments that move us from what was to what at one point will be and now is. It's these transition times. Religions have many of these uh, liminal moments, rites of passage. So in the Jewish tradition, you have bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs when uh, children turn 13 and they're now moving from being a child to an adult. And you have that ceremony, that liminal moment where what was before and what was after are two different things, two different stages of life. Sometimes the liminal spaces are just moments. They happen real quick, moments of transition, where all of a sudden you were one thing and then became something else. Some of them are seasons or times that go on. Uh, some scholars have talked about liminal times being things like wars, that when a whole nation or a bunch of nations go to war, uh, it'll never quite be the same after that time. And so there's a liminal space where there's, there's fighting and you're looking forward to a time of peace and hopefully to something better. It's a liminal moment. There are all kinds of ceremonies. Life-changing travel for some people are liminal moments. Going away to school, we've talked about, is a liminal moment. In the scriptures, we have examples of liminal times where we read about the stories of people moving through times of transitions. One of the famous ones is when the people of Israel leave Egypt and they wander in the desert for 40 years. They're no longer slaves in Egypt, but they're not yet in the promised land, the land of God's blessing. And for 40 years, they're in this liminal transition moment where we don't want to go back to Egypt, although they are often tempted to go back. We're not quite in the land of blessing, the land of promise yet, but we're trying to be prepared to transition from one thing to another. Jesus had a, a very liminal uh, moment when, uh, as, as he grew up and he was about to start his ministry. He hadn't done anything yet of, of real note. In fact, in most of the Gospels, we get something about maybe his birth, almost nothing about his childhood, very little. And then all of a sudden, what we read about is his temptation in the desert. And he's about to act as a, a prophet and a priest and a king and launch into public ministry. Everything is going to change as he announced this is that the kingdom of God is now at hand. But first, he goes out into the desert, similar to the Israelites, and he's tested in the desert. It's this moment of transition. It's a liminal time period. I think... And all of our lives are different, but many of us are, find ourselves in kind of one of those spaces now. And if not now, like I said, you probably have in the past, and you will in the future once again go through those times. And those changes, those transitions in our lives that make us different people, they are exciting, but they're also difficult. Because change is difficult. Because we get locked in on our routines and what's familiar and what's comforting and what makes us feel safe or happy or excited or like things are going the way that they're supposed to go. And then all of a sudden some period comes in and we know we're transitioning to something else, changing. Change is just difficult. So as much as there's excitement, and I'm sure for some of the things I already talked about, whether it's school or things happening at church or other areas of your life, there's a lot of excitement and there's also probably some anxiety, some worry some discomfort, some stress, dealing with uh, ambiguity, 
uncertainty of what the future is, a little bit of disorientation. I don't know what this is going to look like in our new routines. And is this, is this risk I'm taking or is this adventure I'm going on going to work out? How are our kids going to acclimate to their new school surroundings or their new class or their new friends? Or how is all that going to go? And so some of those stresses uh, are very real and, and even threaten for us to shrink back or we can embrace the change and be open to our own growth. And there might be times where you would say, uh, I feel very out of control in those moments of transition, in those moments of change. I don't know if I can make sure that my life is what, it wants, what I want it to be, what it should look like, what it ought to look like. I've always had a problem with that, just, you know, in art, to be honest with you. I've told this story before, but I've never been gifted in art drawing, painting, any of that kind of stuff has never come naturally to me. I knew this growing up just wasn't whatever was in my head. It's not that I couldn't see beautiful things. I love to appreciate art, uh, but what is in my head, if you tell me, hey, draw that picture, draw that beautiful sunset, that landscape, that, that beautiful thing, paint it, do something, get it out there. Uh, what is on paper at the end of that is never even close to what is in my head. I just always struggled with, I just can't do it. I'm not gifted that way. I had a moment where that became very clear to me the last time I ever took an art class. It was junior high. I was forced to take an art class. It was like, you have to take an art class till grade seven or eight. I forget exactly when. And I was in the art class. And again, I've always known I'm not an artist. It just doesn't come naturally to me. That's fine. Uh, But we were given the assignment uh, to paint something. I think we were supposed to pick an animal and paint it on paper. And so we're all doing our thing and, and everybody's painting. And I'm painting. I think it was a bird. And I'm going through it, again, knowing this is not my forte, but I'm looking at the bird going, it's pretty good. I think this might be one of the best things I've ever done. I'm trying to be careful. I'm working hard at it. Everybody's working, and the teacher is making her rounds uh, and kind of commenting on people. And she comes, and she kind of behind my back and looks over my shoulder and taps me, and she goes, Dave, uh, don't worry. When I'm grading on people's painting, uh, I don't grade based on how your work compares to other people, just on how it compares to your other work. And I went, oh, thanks. Wait, what? That's supposed to mean. It's the best bird I ever painted. Just realized I'm not the great artist. I can't always take what's in here and translate it to out there. And I wonder if a lot of us feel that way in life a little bit, especially when things feel a little bit uncertain and we're not sure where life is going and we are in a moment of transition and we want everything to be figured out and go well and we would love to control it all and yet we go, it's very hard in my life to take what's in here, that ideal of what I want to be and how I want my life to be and put it out to there. So here's what I want to talk about today as we come to sort of a threshold moment, Labor Day weekend, we launch into September, a lot of new things going on. Can we talk about how I believe God can use these moments of transition for transformation? That even if we're overwhelmed by that, even if we feel like that's very an imposing thing, that we are all changing little by little, day by day. John Ortberg says uh, something like, today you will change even just one day's worth. You will be different, even if you don't notice it. Every day we're changing just a little bit. And as theologians have noted, that often uh, God uses these liminal spaces, these transitions, these thresholds where things that were will now be something different. How can we allow God to uh, transform us in moments of transition? How can we allow transitions to be times of transformation? I have three suggestions today. Here's the first one. The first is to embrace discomfort. 
All those emotions that we just talked about sometimes can be very scary, especially if you just get overwhelmed and stretched and anxious and I don't know how this week is going to go and it's all building up in your chest and you can feel it and it's just kind of taking over even in your body. And uh, some psychologists will note it's important for us as we look at our emotions to say, those emotions aren't me, they aren't even permanent, we're just hosting them. We need to acknowledge them and carry them and know that they won't last forever and yet let them be teachers to us. So number one, what if we could embrace discomfort. I know this is difficult, but say, uh, I'm not in a comfortable place because things are changing. I'm scared. I'm worried. I'm anxious. I can't control everything, but we just embrace that. Listen to what James says, James chapter one, verse two. And this is uh, a book of the Bible in which, um, in the New Testament, it's one of the wisdom books of the Bible, probably written to a fairly wide audience for skillful living. How do we live well in a changing and uncertain world And he says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So he starts by saying, when troubles of any kind comes, troubles here could be translated a few different ways. Trouble is a good word. Or trial, so something hard comes into your life. Or even temptation. And you can see how all those three words kind of hold together, that when things are difficult, when you're going through something hard, when you're tempted, most often we're tempted, when, when there's something hard, there's a difficult choice, difficult circumstances, we're under stress, we're tempted uh, sometimes to live out our lives in ways that are not healthy or are good. But whenever these troubles come, whether it's a trial, whether it's a temptation, whatever it might be, he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider is a perspective word. It's an attitude word. It's a, you might not be able to change this trouble, this trial, or this temptation. You might not be able to control your circumstances. You might still feel very out of control, but you can choose how to respond to that trouble. You get to choose how you will consider it, what your perspective on it will be. This week, you might say, I'm completely overwhelmed. I'm powerless. I'm helpless. I'm worried things aren't going to go well. I consider this a huge setback. I consider this a major hurdle that I can't get over. I consider this a defeat. I consider this something that I never wanted to happen in my life, this trouble that we have now encountered. Or you could consider this an opportunity for great joy. Well, that doesn't come naturally. Who looks at something that's trouble and says, ah, this is an opportunity to be really happy? This is an opportunity for joy. This is an opportunity for something good. But imagine, and I think everything we say today can kind of hang here uh, or we'll build off of this. But if you could consider that this is actually an opportunity for something to delight in. Why? He says, because it's an opportunity for growth and maturity. You know that when your faith is tested, and we'll talk about trust in just a second and what faith means, but your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. In these moments of hardship, I'm becoming someone stronger if I let God do that work in me. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And so you look at the challenge that you're going through, you look at the trouble, and you don't consider that a great thing or a great opportunity for joy. But what if you saw that, hey, in this trial, there is an opportunity for me to one day become complete and needing nothing? In a moment where I feel so needy, 
where I feel so inadequate to know that going through this trial and this trouble could lead to a place where I'm actually mature, where I'm more whole, where I'm a more integrated, full, healthy person, where I can get to a place where I'm stronger and I don't feel as needy in the same sense. Oh, what joy that would be. It's a little bit like exercise, isn't it? Consider it great joy to wake up at five in the morning and go to the gym before work. Not me. But why? Because when I go to the gym and on the first day, but this happens to me all the time because I, I get in a good routine, I exercise, all that kind of stuff. And then I'm the classic example. You miss one day, then you miss a week, then you miss a month, and then it's been a whole while. So then you go back the first day. Has ever happened to you? And you try and do what you did six months ago in the same way. And do you know what happens? It hurts. You go, I'm out of shape and I can't breathe and my lungs hurt and my muscles hurt and the next morning it hurts. This is trouble. This is not great joy. But if you look down the road and say, if I keep doing this little by little, if I build up these habits, my endurance will grow and one day I will once again be in shape. And this is the spiritual equivalent to this. Consider it great joy that you have a chance to grow and be stronger and to become more like Jesus. And that's the context here that James is writing of what spiritual maturity looks like to become more like Jesus. And so you say, well, I can't do that. No, maybe you can't, but maybe just one step at a time to build that, those muscles, the character muscles. One habit at a time, one choice at a time, one day at a time. You say, I don't feel any different today than I did yesterday. But I guarantee you, for good or for bad, you'll be one day different, one day changed. And if you stack up enough days, eventually you'll find that your endurance grows, your faith gets stronger, you develop, become more perfect. That doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake. Uh, perfect here means total, again, integrated, complete, healthy, your life lining up in all different areas, whether that's physically, emotionally, spiritually, to a point where... You need less. Beautiful. But when we're not strong enough, and albeit, very, it's, it's a very good point if you say, well, but I, I just don't know if I have the strength to do all of that. And my tendency is not to consider my hardships great joy. That's okay. That's like all of us. But read uh, what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12. And Paul had been through everything. Paul, you know, he was out there. He's planting churches and he was sharing Jesus. And in the midst of it, he was shipwrecked and he was beaten and he was persecuted and he was uh, arrested and, and imprisoned and everything you could imagine. And here's what he says. He says, each time he said, God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles. There's a word that I suffer for Christ for when I am weak, then I am strong. You say, I am not strong enough to transform myself. Well, that's kind of the point. But rather we put ourselves in the way of God's spirit and allow him to transform us. And so we consider it great joy that in our endurance, God will make us stronger even when we're weak. So then you say, okay, well, I'm weak and I'm going to surrender myself and let God transform me. Well, how do I do that practically? Second thing I would suggest is to choose trust. To choose trust in a world where this is very difficult. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. Um, Samuel in the Old Testament. You can read about Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Samuel was very much in the Bible a liminal character. He was, some people call him the first of the, the great prophets in Israel, 
Uh, he came right at the tail end, at the end of the time of the Judges. You want to read about Judges? There's a book called Judges, and it was not a good time in, in the history of Israel. It was a time where they appointed these leaders, these judges, and yet it says people, they did whatever they wanted to do. They did what they thought was right, and most often, they weren't doing what was right. And it was a complete disaster in their history, and terrible things happened. And then they were moving to uh, the time of the prophets and the time of the monarchy when God would give them a king, King Saul and then King David. And Samuel was kind of that liminal character, the transition character in between the two that bridged from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. And so he was very much in between. And uh, Samuel's mother had prayed that she'd be pregnant. And one of the things she promised God is that if you give me a child, I'll give him to you, dedicate him to your work. And so Samuel uh, was dedicated to, uh, to, to that work and, and worked with the priest who was Eli. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, as Samuel was kind of working for, for Eli. Um, and what had happened is Samuel was awakened by a voice in the night. He was sleeping um, and he heard a voice. And so he would say, here I am. He would go to Eli and say, Eli, you're calling for me. Here I am. And Eli the first time said, no, that's not me. Uh, you're hearing things. Go back to bed. And then he heard a voice again. Uh, and so he went to Eli again. And he said, here I am. I am here. And Eli eventually started to go, oh, you are hearing a voice, but it's not my voice. Perhaps it's, it's God's voice. And so he instructed him. And this is what he instructed him. This is how Samuel responded. He said, then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. And when Samuel opens himself up and notice the wording, speak, who's listening? Not, hey, I'm paying attention, I'm listening. Your servant is listening. That is, I am open, God, to what you would have me do. I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to follow you. You tell me what to do. And then all of a sudden, God speaks to him, and it starts this, this amazing transitional moment uh, from, from Eli and from much of the wickedness of the Israelites to a new time. And, and Samuel's not the perfect leader, but he is a faithful leader. And one of the, I love just the first part of this chapter, if you read the first verse of chapter three, it says, in that time, the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions. In other words, there were not too many people who were listening to God's voice and hearing God, seeing what God was up to. Samuel, as he uh, opened himself up, said, God, here I am. Your servant is listening. He heard from God and he was invited into a great purpose. Samuel saying, I will trust you. I'm your servant. I will do what you have for me to do in this season. I'll trust you. I'm sure Samuel had immense pressure as he took this leadership role. I'm sure he had immense pressure coming from a a very dark time in the history of the entire nation and not knowing where it was going to lead and what it was going to do and what opposition was going to come at him that certainly would come at him. But for him to say, I can't control all of that, but I am your servant and I'm listening. Could you imagine what it would be like If our community took on that sort of attitude, that sort of openness, Lord, we're your servants and we are listening. We can't control our future. We don't know everything that's going to happen. We don't know if this week is going to be a nightmare or if it's going to be just easy and beautiful and wonderful, but we will choose to be your servants and we will choose to do what you ask to do. What if, and I think part of trust is, is creating rhythms and creating habits 
that embody what it means to really trust God. So one of the ways that we change is just by those small decisions we make, but we make them over and over and over. What if in a very loud and a very busy world, we believe that trust meant we're going to spend time every day in quiet, silent solitude listening for God's voice? What if, and I wonder, if that description of Samuel's time, where the word of God was rare and there were not many visions, is sort of true of our time, not because God is not speaking to us by his spirit, but because so few of us take time to listen. What if we asked ourselves, God, in this season of transition or trouble or trial, what is it that you're calling me to? Your servant is listening. What's God calling to you in this, calling you to in this season? Maybe it's, the kind of parent that God is calling you to be. Oh, and I'm so busy, and oh, I've got so many things going on, and uh, am I supposed to make sure that my kid is a super athlete or, or, or the, the, the best theater student or, you know, straight A's? Or what are the other values that maybe Jesus is calling to make the priority in your household? Perhaps this is a season where God is saying, I'm calling you to focus on your children or on your marriage. What are those things that God might be saying? Whatever you can't control as you go out into a, maybe a new phase this September, what does it look like to show the love of Jesus? To say, today as I go to school, today as I go into work, today as I, I spend time with my family, what does it look like to show the love of Jesus? And to say, I'm going to choose trust. Trust that following Jesus and doing what he asked me to do, loving the way he asked me to love, forgiving the way he asked me to forgive, showing grace the way that he shows grace to me. And and I don't know if that's going to make my circumstances great or perfect or make me a lot of money or successful or whatever it is, but I will choose trust and I will build, build small everyday habits and rhythms around trusting in Jesus. I'll trust Jesus with my family, with my kids. I'll trust that God loves my kids more than I do even. I trust God in my finances and ask him, what would you have me do with my money? Trust God with my time and the scheduling and the commitments that I say yes to or that I say no to in a very busy season, perhaps. I trust Jesus enough to give him time every day, like I said, to be quiet and to ask him, what do you have for me today? What are you calling me to do today? And whatever else is happening to make that a priority. Your servants are listening. I think that's so powerful. I think one of the other things that we trust is that wherever we're at in life, uh, God is with us. And even if we feel like we're not in the right place, that perhaps uh, God has us exactly where he wants us. We have a piece of artwork hanging in our house that's a quote from Teresa of Avila. And it says, may you trust God that you are exactly where you are meant to be. Isn't that a beautiful reminder? Because perhaps this week you'll be in places where you said, this isn't where I wanted to be, or I'm very uncomfortable in this place, or I don't know if if this was my purpose or why I'm here. This is a weird transition. This is not where I thought I'd be in life, but may you trust God that you are exactly where you're meant to be, exactly where his presence is, exactly where you can join him to trust him. And so we focus on being faithful and trust that God is holding our lives holding our circumstances, holding our community. And number three, uh, how do we allow God to help these times of transitions become transformational? Uh, I would say to rest in the promise of new beginnings. Giving up uh, our old way of doing things, our old circumstances, or those things that do make us comfortable, when those are jarred and we feel disoriented and anxious and worried and where we're uncertain about the future, one thing we can be certain is, is that God loves new beginnings 
And the promise of new beginnings is one that we can rely on, depend on. Famous verse comes from Romans chapter 8. Verse 28 says, and we know, this is one of Paul's masterpiece letters in Romans. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That when we can trust that we are exactly where we're meant to be, that God is holding our lives, that God is with us, that we can trust him, that we can also trust him for hope. Hope is the expectation of good in our lives. To know that even if it doesn't feel good right now, even if we're struggling and hurting and disoriented, we believe that God can take all the broken pieces and all the hurt and all the pain and all the struggle and all the strife and he can make it good. In fact, that is what God does. He is the God of the resurrection, One of the ultimate liminal periods when Jesus was crucified on a Friday and his followers thought everything was over. The entire movement of following Jesus was done. They had no leader. They had no future. They had no hope. Saturday must have been so dark, so filled with anxiety and worry and struggle. It's all over. Nothing will ever be like it was. And that would be true, but not for the worse, for the better. Everything would be made new. And on Sunday morning, life Sunday morning, resurrection. On Sunday morning, something brand new leading to the birth of the church, the followers of Jesus that would change the world. We serve a God of new beginnings, a God of resurrection. That's why when we think of those hard times and the endurance that builds faith, we always need to keep hope in mind. Hope is not wishful thinking. Like I said, hope is the expectation of good. And in faith, we have the expectation of good because God is good and we believe that God can take what is broken and put it all back together. If we backed up a few chapters in Romans chapter 5, Paul also talks about that, similar to what James said. In Romans 5 verse 3, he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. He's saying something similar. When we're hurting, when we're suffering, when things aren't going well, we can glory in them. We could, James would say, consider it pure joy. He says, Paul, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, expectation of good. And what is hope? Or why can we have hope? And hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What's the expectation of good built on? That God's love, the God who is love, has poured his love into our lives through his Holy Spirit. He's with us. He's holding our lives. He is walking with us every day. That's why we back up, choose trust. We need to find those times over and over and over to build our habits around listening and watching for the act of God in our lives and what he is calling us to do because he wants to bring good, even when we don't see the good. And how do we know what's the deposit on the deal? He's given us his Holy Spirit, his presence living inside of us that reveals his love to us and to the world. So part of our job as a church is that uh, as much as all that I've said can apply to you as individuals, we don't do it alone and we're not supposed to do it all alone. In fact, all of these things we're supposed to be doing as a church together because there's going to be a moment when you, when me, when someone else is going through a trial and a struggle, uh, maybe hitting a threshold that's very difficult and they won't consider it pure joy. Happens to all of us. And they won't say this is suffering that we can glory in. 
It's why we need to keep coming together and reminding each other of that. Hebrews 10 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It is so precious, so powerful and valuable for us to be reminding each other of God's goodness. It's why we meet together. It's why we come together on Sunday mornings. It's why we'll join in houses in in life groups later this fall to always be reminding each other of that. Whether we like it or not, we are changing. All of us. Moment by moment, day by day, sometimes in very small ways, sometimes in big ways, but most often in very small ways. The moments of transition that many of us find ourselves in now or will in the future are an opportunity for transformation. If we'll allow God to speak to us, if we'll listen, open ourselves up to him, our moments of transition are an opportunity for transformation. You might not see it now, but what is to give you great joy and delight is that as you go through whatever it is you're going through, a week, a month, six months, a year down the road, we might be different people, stronger, more mature, more like Jesus, more loving. And you still might sit there and say, but I am no artist. I'm with you. Me neither. My life doesn't always look like a great, wonderful picture of scenery. It's hard for me to take that goal of what's in here, of what my life ought to be like, and to translate it into real life. And if that's you, I am so with you. But here is the beautiful, beautiful truth. When you say, I can't transform myself. No, you can't, but God can. You just need to let him. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. He is a great artist. And it's him that makes us together in a community his great masterpiece of beauty for the world. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You might say, I can't do it. I can't do all those good works. I can't get through this hardship. I can't grow myself. And perhaps God would say to you, maybe you can't, but I can. Why don't you let me? So Heavenly Father, I pray today, uh, especially for those of us who perhaps are feeling many of those emotions that go along with transitions that are hard, where we struggle and things are difficult, that you would bring joy where there are struggles, bring peace where there is anxiety, bring hope where there is despair. Help us to trust you and to know that you are bringing good into our lives. And we can trust that in Jesus' name.